Ladies and gentlemen of America, coming from AJC Radio, tonight our very special spotlight on Capitol Hill unfortunately has been canceled due to inclement weather beyond our control. However, as a very special treat for you listeners tonight, we will play a spotlight on Capitol Hill encore presentation of Congresswoman Barbara Lee from California. And make no mistake about it, she's got a lot to say. Folks, enjoy yourselves. Be safe. We'll see you next time here on AJC Radio. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you will take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 100. Madam Speaker, I rise uh, this evening with my colleagues in the Congressional Black Caucus to call on Congress to do something, to do something about the epidemic of gun violence that's harming our communities. Since the start of the year, just 11 days ago, nine of my constituents have already become victims of gun violence including an elementary school teacher and an innocent mother pushing her child in a stroller. Just this weekend alone, my community suffered three gun homicides. My thoughts are with the victim's family at this very um, terrible, difficult time. We have to do something. Enough is enough. Congress can and must do more to stop this senseless violence. Whether it's Charleston, Oak Creek, Sandy Hook, or the streets of Oakland, or wherever, too many people have already lost their lives. Too many families have buried loved ones, and too many lives have been changed forever because of catastrophic injuries as a result of gun violence. Madam Speaker, now is the time for action. Our constituents are demanding action. The country is demanding action. I've received of calls and emails from my constituents, and I know other members are also hearing from their constituents. They're calling for action as well. Earlier today in my own district, Oakland City Council President Lynette Gibson McElhaney, she buried her grandson, 17-year-old Torian Hughes, who was shot and killed during a robbery just days before Christmas. This has been a very difficult period for Councilmember McElhaney and her family. So in addition to our prayers, not only for my Councilmember's family, but for all of those in our country who have been victims of gun violence, we must do something. We must do something in all of their memories. Welcome in, America. This is Lamont Banks with AJC Radio and Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and we welcome you to the program tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, what you just heard was Congresswoman Barbara Lee, uh, the congressman from the 13th District of California. Lisa, we have said on this program many times that the streak continues. Tonight is no exception, and make no mistake about it, Congresswoman Barbara Lee may be a little uh, small in statue, but she is a giant in having heart. And tonight, we take a trip to our nation's capital where we ascend, if you will, and shine the spotlight 
on Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Ladies and gentlemen, this is something you do not want to miss. We're coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where the temperature right now is 56 degrees. Folks, get ready for the ride. We're taking off in moments here on ABC Radio. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We are delighted to have uh, you with us tonight uh, for another edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Uh, I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Jeanette Williams. And, folks, this is a humdinger. Lisa, we had an opportunity, uh, uh, and, and I'll tell you, to sit down with Congresswoman Lee uh, in Washington uh, a few months back. And, yeah. Lisa, your thoughts on this magnificent woman that's making a definite impact in our nation's capital and around the country. You know, Lamont, there is nothing that I like to see better than a strong black woman. Yes. There is nothing else that that makes me feel as good as seeing a black woman that is strong, that stands up for herself, stands up for what she believes, speaks her heart and speaks her mind. That, to me, is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. I was raised by a strong black woman, and I love to see strong black women. It's just something that I just, I just, I love it. I just love seeing it. Any any place I see it, I just, I love it. Well, absolutely. And I'll tell you right now, folks, this, again, we keep talking about the journey of Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and we have been on one serious ride, Cliff, uh, over the last year and a little longer since uh, uh, Spotlight on Capitol Hill and we have seen some things and learned some things about our elected officials. And let me say this, Cliff, before you chime in on this, that AJC Radio is about one thing. is shining the light and showing America the positive things that, are, that is happening with our elected officials. The positive things they are doing. And we have been overwhelmed with that information. And we haven't scratched the surface, Lisa and Cliff and Jeanette, on even a, a, a smidget of that. Cliff, your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, because I know the the first few times, you know, that we went up to Capitol Hill, you you don't really get it. But then when you see and you understand how hard the members of Congress are actually working, the times that we, you know, sat down and had members uh, meetings with the actual members, and you know that, okay, you guys are supposed to be off at 5 o'clock as a government job or whatever. They are still in there voting. And, and then they come out, and you say, okay, now it's 7.30, and then you meet with us for two hours, and then you look on C-SPAN, and they're up voting again at 6 in the morning. And that is when I think it first clicked that there is much more going on on Capitol Hill than we ever realized, and that's kind of where uh, Spotlight was birthed, that the American people need to see what is actually going on. It's not Absolutely. just what you see on television every once in a while, that, oh, this congressman said that, that congresswoman said this. That is not the end of the story. It's so much deeper. Well, I'll tell you what, Cliff. This continues. Uh, this is an avalanche effect, if you will, and we mean that in the most positive way, of what these officials are doing. You're going to learn some things about Congresswoman Barbara Lee that you, you just didn't know existed. And this is a woman who is connected to the people, understands the people, Absolutely. understands the struggle because of the foot, uh, because of the journey she has traveled herself and uh i'll tell you what ladies and gentlemen this is what makes america what it is and that is that we take a few moments that is not happening on any other network in the united states ajc radio stands alone in honoring and shining the spotlight on capitol hill uh of our elected officials and we are proud uh to say that and lisa the disclaimer for the people please 
Yes, just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide any legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal, legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you for taking some time and choosing to spend to tune in this evening and spend a little time with us. And thank you for that, Lisa. And uh, well, I'll tell you what, we're excited here at AJC Radio tonight. You know, some, something happens, some energy enters the building every Thursday, and uh, I'll tell you what, it makes you patriotic, and it makes you know, folks, we have to make these things happen. Uh, thank you, Janelle, for the flag waving back in the control room. We appreciate that. Folks, it's just now getting started. Tuck the kids in. It may be a little early for them to tuck in yet, but it, may, it is a school night across the country. Uh, sit on the couch. Spend the time with us because this is going to be entertaining and definitely informative as we dig into the light and honor uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, and I'm excited about that. Uh, we're going to go into some current news. Cliff, we had talked earlier today, uh, Lisa and Jeanette, in regards to a sudden move that happened uh, in the Department of Justice. Uh, Cliff, you remember we, we had talked uh, uh, some months ago, several months ago, uh, in regards to the president um, in, uh, in dealing with some of the issues, uh, Lisa, as well, uh, in regards to uh, some inconsistencies happened at the Department of Justice uh, where uh, African-American uh, clemency requests, a pardon request were put underneath yeah, yeah. Uh, the pile. Uh, they were just—they were purposely being uh, being put aside. Right, and we again, and 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 we know no facts here uh, in regards to exactly why the sudden resignation. Uh, it goes. The story was written by uh, a, a, a Linda Paulson, uh, who is writing uh, letters uh, enforcement uh, to help leaders and, and information. She writes. Um, uh, give me one second here, and I think that she is not the one that actually did that particular story. My apologies on that. That's another uh, story. But the sudden resignation, I'll read it as it is written, uh, states that the sudden resignation of the federal pardon attorney Deborah Leff on Obama, an Obama appointee, excuse me, is the latest evidence that until the clemency process is pried from the grip of the Justice Department, it will remain broken. Now, this is an opinion editorial that has been written uh, uh, by an author, and he is chiming in. Uh, on this, and it goes further to say that the pardon attorney's office, uh, which operates out of the Justice Department, is responsible for reviewing thousands of petitions for pardons and sentence uh, uh, computations, uh, uh, and it says for making recommendations for clemency to the president. Cliff, so the power that the, that this particular uh, uh, group, if you will, in the Department of Justice has a great deal of power. They recommend to the president, yay or nay, in, in the granting of clemency. Uh, your thoughts, and we're going to get that in a moment, uh, Cliff. Let me finish with what this says. Uh, it says, the president's power to grant mercy in these cases is nearly unlimited, but for most of his time in office, Mr. Obama, like his recent predecessors, has exercised this power only rarely. But we do see President Obama coming out more than what a lot of presidents have done in the past. Not only did he is he granting the clemencies, but he's also looking to change the system in, in the long term, and that is the criminal justice reform, uh, the solitary confinement issue that he was pushing, uh, other things about looking into uh, letting the, the American people know that, look, these folks that are in, in custody, Cliff, are American citizens, and it's changing the culture, if you will, or he's attempting to change the culture, the culture, excuse me, uh, of the criminal justice system. Your thoughts on this particular move raises some very, very serious questions. Well, I, I think that what I mean, this is you had the first, um, you know, the the pardon attorney. He got pushed out because, uh, like you mentioned, 
he was just doing things, unscrupulous things, putting different names and different nationalities at the bottom of the pile because that's not who he wants to even be seen for clemency. But the fact, what this says is that it needs to be moved from the Department of Justice. There needs to be another arm of the government, a separate arm outside. DOJ, they say they're about justice, but DOJ is about getting people in prison. They don't really want to reform the prison system. So to put someone in there who's over the pardon office is just not a good thing. It needs to be someone who uh, has the experience of a defense attorney, someone uh, who understands that there's people in prison wrongfully, and that goes in with that at the forefront of their mind, not someone who says, I'm a crony of the Justice Department. I used to be a prosecutor, and now it's my job to say, you know, hey, I'm about clemency. It needs to be stripped away, a whole nother arm to say, we need to go after getting people out of prison that don't belong there. Now they wait for applications. No, go in, check the cases, get a team of as many people as you need to, to do it right so that the people who are in prison for no reason can can be released. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And Cliff, go ahead, Lisa. In that article, it also says that she, as she's leaving, there's more than 10,000 clemency petitions waiting for review. And that is waiting for review, not waiting that have review. been reviewed and, and uh, that are to be looked at by the president. This is this is the stack of work that she hasn't that she hasn't no. gotten done. And, and it, it points to the fact that the entire system is not working properly. Someone needs to go in there, uh, inspector general, find out what is the problem and get this thing uh, taken care of. I mean, we talked about the veterans and the fact that when the system is broken, you end up with people losing their lives. Right. Waiting in line for something to happen, and it's told it's atrocious. And it's unacceptable here. Uh, it goes further to say that uh, uh, Miss Left's appointment was a promising sign that the dysfunctional pardon process would be repaired. But her tenure didn't last long. On, on January 15th, barely one year after she was formally appointed, she abruptly announced she would step down at the end of this month, saying only that the work of the office should move ahead expeditiously and expand. She goes further here. As she leaves, as, as what uh, Lisa alluded to, over 10,000 clemency petitions are waiting for review, while the pardon office, which has 10 lawyers, wow. has remained virtually the same size it was 20 years ago, and the number of petitions has increased almost sevenfold. Uh, says here the department recently announced plans to hire 16 new lawyers, but this would still be far below the number need to process the backlog. Uh, I'll tell you right now, folks, this is unacceptable in the United States. It, sure it is, is unacceptable, uh, and we reach out to uh, uh, the president, uh, you know, to, to, as I'm sure he will, uh, bring action. This is unacceptable, and it tells you, uh, again, the condition of this nation. Uh, we got to have people in there, and I, I agree with you, Cliff, in regards to an independent uh, group of lawyers, of specialists, uh, to accommodate a symbol in one building, and that is all they do Monday through Sunday or Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and overtime if necessary. We're talking about the lives of men and women across this country seeking justice, and it seems to be uh, definitely far removed. We'll be giving, getting back to you more on that story. Uh, as we hear more, we will bring it to you. Uh, also, ladies and gentlemen, we, at, we remind you to go to AJCRadio.com. There's a link there uh, in regards to the petition. Uh, for Jasmine uh, uh, Lima Marin, uh, Lisa, we talked. To, she was on our program a few weeks ago. Yes. Uh, husband wrongfully done, we believe, by the system. Uh, was told by his attorney 
uh, yielded to the expertise of his attorney that he would do basically about a 16-year term. Roughly, if you got a 16-year, you can walk probably in 10. Uh, he was granted parole, complied with the comp- – I mean, went before the parole board. They said, yes, you passed. We're going to let you out. The man got out, started a family with Jasmine, uh, has two beautiful children, bought a house, re- uh, maintained employment, all of those things. And six years after he started his life – after he was removed from paper, as the terminology is used on, on, as far as being off paper, uh, you're not on parole and there's no, nothing monitoring you, he proved to be successful in his completion. Uh, a judge who was the acting prosecutor in the case uh, uh, looked into his case after 16 years or 10 or 11 years and said, I want to see if he's still in jail, pretty much, uh, and work really moved outside of his scope of what he needed to do sought this man, and made the ruling uh, to have him ordered back to prison. And ironically, Cliff, he is now retired after this move. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to ask you to please go out to AJCRadio.com. You can go to change.org as well uh, and seek that petition. And speaking of petitions, Lisa, uh, we have a movement uh, right now happening for the IRP6. Yes, we do, on change.org. You go out there, you search IRP6, there's a new petition out there. That we want everyone to go out and sign. If you ha- think, if you ever think that there's a question in your mind about something that the justice system does, go out there, look at the story, and sign the petition. You'll be compelled to do so when you read it, because it's about undoing a wrong that was done by the system that needs badly to be undone. And both of those petitions need to be signed. Uh, you'll, and ladies and gentlemen, let, make no mistake about it. Uh, a famous Hurricane Carter judge, H. Lee Serikin, um, actually. Uh, his speaking and seeking clemency, uh, asking the president to grant clemency to these men. Uh, he has been, he's retired now, sat on the bench, I believe, for over 60 years, uh, and stated he had never recommended clemency for anyone. Uh, but in this case, he saw something compelling enough, 60 years of sitting on a bench and, and, and operating and doing what he did. Uh, I can tell you right now, folks, uh, he's seen some things and has, has some knowledge about some things, and he believes a huge miscarriage of justice has taken place here. Again, we implore you tonight, tell your friends, folks, go to Facebook, Twitter, uh, any social media, LinkedIn as well. Go everywhere you can go and spread the word, change.org, for the RP6, and also the petition for Jasmine uh, Lima Marin and her husband, Renee. He is locked up fighting for his life. And they sent him back, not for a year or two, ladies and gentlemen, for 98 years. Uh, unacceptable. And I'll tell you what, the man um, he made, it, made it clear that he made a mistake. He went in. They, they said he had a loaded weapon. The weapon was not even loaded. Uh, I mean, folks, this is unheard of. We have murderers walking on our streets uh, who have killed people. Uh, technically, in, in the prison uh, environment, uh, 20 years is a life sentence. That's why they're eligible for parole after that time. So we need to we need to really pull together again. Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. So anywhere, please spread the word. Change.org for the RP6 uh, and uh, for these men to be brought back together with to their families, uh, folks. We're fighting every day here on AJC Radio that justice may be brought to the lives of these people, and we appreciate it uh, and and thank you for that. But uh, uh, Lisa, we're getting ready to uh, get in get ready for a humdinger tonight, as we said earlier. Uh, Congressman, excuse me, Congresswoman, and I'm gonna have to put a note on my computer. Yeah, Congresswoman, get that right, get it right. <laughs> uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, folks, you're talking about a giant 
in every sense of the word of making a difference and walking some roads that a lot of people may not have walked, but connects her specifically with the American people, the burdens that they carry, uh, the things that they that that she can relate to. You, you can't, Lisa, go wrong with a with a congresswoman or congressman who can feel the American people and understand their their plight, if you will. That's right. That's it's rare that people actually feel what I mean. People in that position, they don't always feel what the everyday everyday person is going through. They don't feel their pain. They don't feel what they're dealing with as uh, as young people coming up, not having enough. Uh, young mothers sometimes not having being able to make ends meet, trying to to get trying to get their head above water. She knows exactly what that's about. Oh, no, absolutely, Lisa, and, and that is just amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, folks, buckle in. I say that every week on this program because we absolutely take off. Uh, grab a bowl of tomato soup, maybe a grilled cheese sandwich, and uh, have dinner with us tonight here on AJC Radio as we get ready wow. to dig into the life and the achievements of Congresswoman Barbara Lee. It doesn't have to be grilled cheese, Lisa, or tomato, but whatever fits your fancy, pick it up and uh, get ready to have a good time with us here on AJC Radio. We're coming right back. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We're getting ready to take off. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen of Southern Colorado, did you know that PBR, Professional Bull Riders, is headquartered right here in Colorado? PBR is an international professional bull riding organization based in Pueblo, Colorado. In 1992, when 20 bull riders from the rodeo circuit came together to give life to a dream that they all shared, they never imagined it would be so quickly developed into what has officially been declared the fastest growing sport in America, the PBR, the riders pulled their resources, $1,000 apiece, and broke away from the confines of the rodeo format to make bull riding the most popular of the seven events in traditional rodeo, a standalone sport, and take it to major markets across the United States. Today, the visionary founders are riding a wave of popularity as the PBR continues its charge as one of the fastest growing properties in the history of sports. The concept is simple, match the world's best bull riding athletes against the toughest animal athletes on the planet in an eight-second man versus beast duel, more than 1,200 cowboys from the U.S., Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Australia, and New Zealand hold PBR memberships. How would you like to work for this great company? We are hiring right now. We are currently looking for an associate attorney public relations manager, social media manager, and digital project manager, to name just a few. Folks, check out our website to view more of our open positions at www.pbr.com. And you can also send an email to recruiting at pbr.com or make a phone call, if that's better, at 719-242-2800. Folks, bull riding is taking off, and it all starts with PBR. Today, an innocent person is standing trial for a crime they did not commit. Today, an innocent person is writing for help from a prison cell. 
245 people have been exonerated by DNA testing, but researchers believe that at least 40,000 innocent people are still behind bars. For them, the answer is the Innocence Project, an organization that uses DNA technology to free those who've been wrongfully convicted of a crime. For more information about how you can support the Innocence Project, go to mylifetime.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, the Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Uh, I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Jeanette Williams. And tonight we are getting ready to take a journey, folks, and hopefully you got your ticket punched because we're getting ready to, to dig and follow the life and the accomplishments and the hardworking efforts of Congresswoman Barbara Lee uh, from uh, California. Uh, and I'll tell you what, doing some things, uh, Lisa, that is making an impact on this nation and, uh, folks, it, it, does, it gets better every week, and we're so excited. Uh, Lisa, you and I had the opportunity to sit down with Congresswoman Lee. Uh, what a gracious young woman, uh, very much connected even with us. Absolutely. It, it, she sure was. Yeah, and was very excited about what we're doing, uh, and, and we salute her, her staff, over the top. Yes. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Lisa, we had talked before about honoring the staff of the members of Congress, uh, for the hard work and efforts that they do, yes, they they uh, all they all put in a lot of work. I mean, they're running around the Capitol like like I mean at a speed that reminds you of touching down in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, it, it just doesn't uh, slow down, and uh, we're happy uh, about that. And we salute the staff of all the members of Congress, and definitely to Bar- uh, Congress Congresswoman Barbara Lee's uh, staff that that worked Lisa with you very uh, g- very well yes. Um, in, yes. in, in making that happen. And uh, we, we're going to be definitely uh, having an opportunity to, to work with her again, and we're excited about that. Um, so, folks, before we get into that, there was one more bit of news we wanted to uh, touch in on, um, and it was in regards uh, on January 23rd. Uh, this report came out that law enforcement leaders sent a letter to Congress urging action on criminal justice reform. And it states here in the, in, the, in the article that more than 70 law enforcement members sent a letter to Congress on January 20th urging lawmakers to act on the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act of 2015. The group known as the Law Enforcement Leaders to Reduce Crime and Incarceration uh, began operations in October by advocating reducing prison populations by reforming mandatory minimum sentences. Uh, the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act of 2015 was introduced October 1st and sponsored sponsored by Lisa, our friend, uh, Senator Charles Grassley. Yes. Uh, the bill would reduce several federal minimum sentences, drug felons, and firearm offenses, create new mandatory minimums for interstate domestic violence and certain export uh, control violations, and it goes on and on. Uh, and, and the next step, Lisa, they were talking about uh, here was the Fair Sentencing Act of 2010, 2010 excuse me, and certain sentencing reforms retroactive. Uh, today, law enforcement leaders from across the nation joined, to, joined together to let our lawmakers know that reforming federal mandatory minimum sentences will help keep down crime and unnecessary incarceration. Lisa, your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's admirable uh, that the law enforcement agencies were able to come together and say, we need something to happen. Yes. And then it's good that they're looking at, um, re- I mean, keeping crime down and, and unnecessary incarceration. And they need to get those people out that were incarcerated unnecessarily to begin with. They're already there. And I mean, I think it's a it's a good it's a good first step. It's a good place to start and get things moving in the right direction. 
No, absolutely. And Cliff, you and I had the opportunity, and Lisa, you were involved in that as well, uh, in regards to, uh, I believe, um, uh, some of the congressmen, the members of Congress up there were talking very seriously. We got an opportunity to sit in on a couple of hearings yes. regarding mandatory minimums, and I'm telling you, they were very upset, Cliff, uh, and making it very clear in no uncertain terms that this had to stop, that it was really insanity of what they were doing. Absolutely, and and when you look at it, I mean, everybody is coming to the same conclusion. Every group, the the entire Congress, you know, on, on a bipartisan level is realizing that it's not working because these uh, the the group that wrote this letter, you know, the law enforcement leaders to reduce crime and incarceration, they said that, you know, as police chief and prosecutors, our first priority is public safety. But we know firsthand from our experience that our country's high levels of incarceration are not making us safer. So everybody is coming to the same conclusion that locking more people up for longer periods of time is not the answer. They said that as law enforcement leaders, we want to make clear where we stand. Not only is passing federal mandatory minimum reform necessary to reduce incarceration, it's also necessary to help law enforcement continue to keep crime at its historic lows across the country. And these are just common sense initiatives that everybody is finally coming to the conclusion. And like Lisa said earlier, as part of this, we need to say the people who are already in prison for no reason, let them out. It's not that difficult. I mean, you know, they need more than 10 people on the uh, pardon attorney's team, but come on. Yeah, and so often the crime is not fitting the punishment, and and that's just a huge problem right now. Absolutely. No, and Absolutely, folks. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, th- these things are serious, uh, and it's something that, uh, that we as the American people uh, you know, there's so many times, you know, how many bricks have to fall on you before you recognize your house has fallen down? Uh, this is something that we have to pay attention to. Uh, we have to get involved with. We keep saying that. Uh, we have to come together as community uh, and to make these things happen. And I think uh, that the fact that uh, everybody, like you said, Cliff, is aware of the problem, they're aware of the issues that we're dealing with in America, uh, as we sit at the, I say it all the time, at the crossroad of decision in this country, uh, as an, a new president will be elected to office, new members of Congress will be elected in some of those seats. Uh, we need to be very clear and very much aware uh, of what's going on and, and what we need to do. So, uh, folks, you can read more about that if you go online. It's, it's available uh, everywhere. And uh, we're going to get ready now to do what the – we like to say, Lisa, when we're sitting down at the, at the kitchen table uh, when you're a kid, uh, you want the dessert to come quick. Oh, yeah. uh, we have dessert first. You know, put the uh, you know put the put the mashed potatoes and the green beans to the side. Can we get the Jello, Mom, and the cake? Uh, that's kind of what we uh, want. Uh, but I'll tell you what, folks. Tonight, right now, uh, we're getting ready to get into the dessert of the situation. And I'll tell you what, uh, man, I am so excited, uh, Lisa. I keep referring to you because we've had such good conversations up there on the hill uh, with these members of Congress. And and you, you know, Congress. Uh, woman Lee was running a little late that day. She yeah. had a lot going on, and she had us wait up there. And she was just as kind she sure and, was. and and you know giving to us uh, that that makes you get the good warm fuzzies all over that they say back in the day. And uh, it made us really really feel good, and we're happy about that. And uh, Lisa, right now we're going to go into Congresswoman Lee a little bit of information before we play the interview. Um, when we were there. One of the main things that Congresswoman Lee was very concerned about uh, was dealing with social issues. Yes. Um, we had issues, of course, with the with 
constantly debates on the Hill regarding the food stamp uh, and benefits that go to people. Uh, she was very passionate about that. Yes, she was. And, I mean, I remember she said that she would never, under any circumstances, vote for anything that would reduce or eliminate food stamps because she knows that that was, the, well, that was one of the things that helped her get through. That's how she made it through sure. getting through college and getting to where she is now. She needed help at that time. That's what it's for is to help people. And then when you get on your feet, you don't need it anymore, but it's there to help you while you need it. Well, she made a good point. She said everybody in America would like to have a job would like to have a nice car to drive and a house and, and to take care of their families. The, those are things that just people want. It's, it's called uh, good, you know, good life, if you will, a good life and, and happiness. And to pursue that happiness, uh, she, had, as, as Lisa alluded to, has walked some of those roads. Uh, states here that she has aggressively represented the needs of the undeserved and vulnerable people in her district and throughout the United States, vigorously advocating for a wide range of social and economic concerns. In 2007, Congresswoman Lee joined with members of the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, uh, Congressman John Conyers, uh, Congressman G.K. Butterfield, uh, Congressman Mike Honda, uh, and a variety, a number of people uh, in regards to uh, help uh, the poverty issues and the things that this this country is struggling with. Uh, And it tells you here uh, that is what's needed to come together to bring about change. And you heard on the top of the clip, she said we have to do something about the gun, the guns, you know, the gun control issue. Yeah. And she she referenced someone out of her district, uh, a councilwoman who lost her son. Yes. And what she what what that and she she pleaded for them to let's do something. Yeah. And we have to do something now. You're gonna hear some uh, other uh, information and some other uh, things that she has said on Capitol Hill. We'll get to all of that in the show. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, call your family and friends up. No matter where you live in the United States, call them up and say, look, there's a woman in our nation's capital that's doing some things that needs to catch on and be, become contagious. And I believe that her work uh, based upon, Lisa, the bipartisan and the things that she's doing to reach out, uh, I believe that that definitely will start catching on. It seems to be catching on in Washington right now. It is. It really uh, is. And and we have learned that from, from the other members uh, of Congress. So right now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to dessert. This is the strawberry shortcake, if you will, of the show. <laughs> and uh, uh, get ready to dig in because this is a good one. Let's hear what Congresswoman Barbara Lee had to say in our interview with her in our nation's capital. Okay, ladies and gentlemen of America, Lamont Banks here with AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and we are honored to be coming live from our nation's capital uh, with Congresswoman Barbara, Barbara Lee. Lee, and from the 13th District in California, and we are excited as we will highlight her passions, and you're in for a good one because uh, Congressman Lee is doing some great things here on Capitol Hill. And, uh, Congresswoman, we appreciate you for allowing me to take a few minutes at, at the end of a busy day to talk with us. We, we, we appreciate that. We have found and learned that people are doing great things. The American people need to know that. As we have faced challenging times in our country, uh, you're doing some pretty important things that affect not only your district, but I believe affects the nation and affects this country. And we'll give you an opportunity, Congresswoman Lee, to tell us a little bit about your passions, legislations, 
What's going on right now, as we say, say, challenging upcoming change in power in the presidency next year. Uh, Congress is going through some changes. Where are we as a nation as we get ready to move forward? Sure, and thank you very much for the opportunity to yes. talk with you. You know, we're at really, I think, a defining moment in our country sure. on many, many fronts. When you look at uh, what has happened just in terms of our president turning this economy around, when President Obama took office, we were losing 800,000 jobs a month under President Bush. Wow. President Obama, through his Recovery Act, which none of the Republicans supported, not one vote, mm-hmm. really helped to uh, stop the bleeding sure. and help create uh, new jobs. And so we still though, have a lot of work to do because many communities of color still have not benefited from uh, the recovery. What we're working on now and what I have been working on for years, but now finally have gotten uh, the Democratic Caucus to really focus on is looking at people who are living below the poverty line, talking about not only keeping our focus on the middle class and making sure that the middle class survives and thrives, but also there are millions of people who are poor and low income and people who want to be lifted out of poverty into the middle class. But so much has been focused on only the middle class until I finally was able to get into our Democratic Party platform. I was on the drafting committee, a section that said it's a priority of the Democratic Party to eliminate poverty and to put poverty as a national priority. So based on that, I came back and talked to uh, leader Nancy Pelosi and our whip Jenny Hoyer, and uh, to their credit, they said, yeah, this is really important. We've got to get Democrats focused on really being a big tent party and a big tent caucus. And so they established the WIPS task force on poverty, inequality, and opportunity. And so I chair that task force. And what that task force does, and I'm really proud of the fact we have over 80 members on that task force. You know, coming from zero people talking not about the poor and low income, 80 members saying yes, yes, yes. Uh, That's phenomenal. And so we have legislation. The big piece right now is Pathways Out of Poverty, which incorporates a variety of strategies that we know work to lift people out of poverty. Many members have put that legislation, uh, put a lot of their bills into that legislation. Then half in ten with the faith community and many people around the country are supporting uh, strategies and telling the federal government it should be your goal to cut poverty in half in ten years. We know how to do it, wow. and this says how to do it. Of course, the Tea Party runs the show here. So sure. our new speaker, Paul Ryan, uh, very uh, determined to put poverty on the Republican agenda. Okay. And so I was on the but I'm on the budget committee and I was on it when Chairman Ryan Speaker Ryan was Chairman Ryan of the Budget mm-hmm. Committee. So we've been back and forth on ways to address poverty. So what I'm hopeful for is that uh Speaker Ryan now will at least begin to have some discussion yeah. about cutting poverty in half in uh, 10 years. We know how to do it, and I'm hopeful that he will embrace some of our ideas, because when you look at his budget, his budget is not a pathway out of poverty. The Ryan budget cuts uh, SNAP, food stamps, privatizes Medicare, privatizes Social Security, cuts the safety net, and really focuses on tax cuts for the very wealthy. And that budget assumes that businesses, if you give them tax cuts, they're going to people, which is totally, we know it doesn't work. Yeah. Right, right. So, anyway, so that's kind of a focus that I've been working on. Okay, and it, it sounds really good, and I think the I think a point, and I'll ask you a question following this, uh, Congresswoman, 
in regards to, and I think that's that's a good point. The poor have been forgotten because if you're focusing on the middle class, outside of your initiatives that you're talking about, millions of people live below the poverty line. So, uh, as they are American citizens. How do we lift them up as a nation, as you say? How do we come together and bring these folks together? Now, when you speak about this, this is where I go. You know, we've had the issues with the communities, police relations in communities, uh, sometimes urban areas, poverty-stricken areas. My thought is this, and I want your thoughts on this, is that the importance of building community and trust within the law enforcement of of these poverty-stricken areas and communities in our country it's critically important for one reason. If people are fighting poverty, they're already got a, if you will, a stone on their back trying to lift up. So many times when you have police officers or law enforcement that are not doing their best to protect the people and to keep those relations going, it's another burden added to their back. So then the sense of giving up is definitely present because, well, I'm already down here and now I can't trust my police officer who's across the street or who's in the community. What do we do? How important is it for us as a country and your thoughts on the importance of bringing community relations back where they need to be, not only in areas on television that we see the tragedies, the the body bags, people getting killed, but in poverty-stricken areas when people need that extra lift and that extra support. How important is that? Well, that's, that's very important because there's a direct correlation, first of all, uh, between uh, the poverty, people living below the poverty line and police misconduct sure. and, and, and mass incarceration sure. when you look at what's taking place as it relates to the incarceration of young African-American and Latino. Sure. Okay. So we can't see criminal justice reform out of context of reducing and eliminating poverty. Sure. Okay. We have to create good education, mm-hmm. good educational system. We have to have good, decent, affordable housing. Sure. We have to have communities that value people, whether they have money or not. Or not. And we have to have a police force that understands that this is a diverse country and that everyone wants to be safe. But you cannot have a, a, a dual system of justice or injustice. You sure. can't. You know, use laws to, you know, do your thing, right? Rather than be fair about how the laws are uh, adhered to and complied with, and what we sure. see is the total imbalance. And so, building trust. This weekend, I'm having a forum on uh, racial justice and, and institutional and structural racism in my district. We had one. Oh. A couple months ago, 800 people responded, and this was a multiracial group of people. We already have about 275 respondents for this next one, which is going to be in Berkeley. People want to figure out how to address this, and they want to do it together. And so community building and uh, respect by the police force, respect by the community of the police force, uh, I support and I've offered amendments to increase uh, funding for community policing. Uh, We got in my district uh, several million dollars for community policing. Uh, Sometimes people wonder why am I doing this? Well, you know, part of what this is about is you have to have safe communities, but you have to have trust between the police and police have to understand, you know, the communities and have to understand their biases, uh, have to understand what, uh, stop the racial profiling, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have grand jury reform. I mean, so it's wow. very comprehensive. Sure. So we have to do everything if we're going to really. You got to make the changes across the board. Yeah, all, all the way across. All the way across. Can't just change bits and pieces of it. It's got to go all the way. Or it doesn't do any good. That's exactly it. Well, Congresswoman uh, Lee, as as you know, I'm really impressed uh, with your passion for people, and and that you know we said it before on this program. We'll say it again. Without true sincerity and caring, as and I say this all the time, the Amer- America is family. We are family. We may not be direct constituents. But this I'll tell you right now, and this is what I said to every person I've talked to on Capitol Hill. Your decisions and your passions to drive and do what you're doing, to bring together communities, all the things you just spoke about, is what shapes the core of this country. It's not about today. It's about today, but it doesn't stop there. It's about tomorrow. It's about our children, our grandchildren. What are we doing? And I believe what I've learned in Spotlight on Capitol Hill with members of Congress and, and yourself as well, these are legendary uh, moves that shape a nation, that keep a nation going, considering, again, the poverty, considering that there are people that need help. But we need to care. We need to come together as human beings. And I'm so impressed with you and what you're doing and what you're striving to do. That is what we elect our officials to do. And until we tap into that, and I think the American people have been robbed of knowing who our elected officials are. Uh, Spotlight on Capitol Hill makes that happen. Say, look, take a look at the woman, Congresswoman Barbara She's just not somebody up here sipping on cappuccino and uh, watching soap operas <laughs> during the day in Congress. This this is a lady who's doing things, and, and, and you, ha- you have a sense. Uh, I say this all the time. The oath of office that you took, uh, and I think people leave that so many times. What was the oath? The oath is to administer justice to uphold the Constitution as a member of Congress. Sure, and what affects one affects all. And I, and I just have to tell you, as a young single mom, I was on welfare, mm-hmm. uh, on food stamps, on Medicaid. I had to, had to raise my kids by myself, struggling through so much of what I see young wow. people struggling to struggling through now. And so there's no way I couldn't be passionate about this. <laughs> sure, sure. I've been there, done. I, I know just, what I was just going to ask you. What is it that drives your passion? But you well, there you go. That. There you I go. Know so I know because you've lived through it. Yeah. So it's your own personal struggle. Yeah. You, all, you understand what every well, what these other people are going through. And I am, gonna I am not going to vote to cut food. I am not going to vote to cut Medicaid. I'm not going to vote to cut Social Security. You know, I'm not going to cast votes that are going to hurt people. There you go. And I'm not going to support welfare reform measures that are going to keep women uh, from the workforce and make them get out of, you know, stop going to school. When when I was on public assistance, I was going to college. That's how I got through college. On there you go. Public assistance. And you know, if that wasn't there for you, you wouldn't have made it no. where you did. That's a bridge over troubled water. 95% of the people on SNAP don't want to be on this. They just That's need right. it until they can get until they're on their feet. Until they make it to feet. a certain point. That's you right. need, it's so just some assistance. That's right. So well, that's, that's awesome. what it's about. And that's so you absolutely talk, awesome. So that, that's why I'm glad you're doing this because a lot of yeah. people don't know about members of Congress and what drives them. Uh, and so there are a lot of great members here who have. Absolutely. We're learning that more and more as we talk to people that drive their well, public power. And here's what you have, Congresswoman Lee: is is what stands out is this. If you haven't been there, you can't understand 
what that mom is going through as she's working through college and trying to get that education, to get that good-paying job. Uh, this is what, to me, is the poster child, if you will, of what we need on Capitol Hill. Because when you've been there, it'll make you press even harder. Right now on the East Coast right now, it is 610, right? Am I right? It yeah. is. So Congresswoman Lee has had a long day. But yeah, she's... Early this morning, but she still took the time, ladies and gentlemen of America, to come out and say, look, what we're doing is important here. What we're doing matters. That, to me, sets the bar. Well, thank you. But you know, also, what people think and want and need is what really democracy is about. And we're here in this office and on this hill, like tonight, I think it'll be till 10 o'clock, and I'll be hearing from my constituents about issues. You know, we we had a, a Twitter town hall. We have uh, conference calls that are town hall meetings, you know, over the phone. Look at that. We have all kinds of ways to interact with people. My forums this weekend. I mean, we're doing a lot. And I think what's important for members of Congress and for for the public to realize is that members of Congress are totally engaged with their constituents. And that's what democracy is about. And so that's why we work 24-7 and on the weekends to try to engage people in in their uh, whole government process because this is their government, not ours. Not mine. Well, we the people. people. <laughs> we the power people. to the people. I come from the Bay Area and Black Panther movement, you know. Power to the people. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's, that's pretty awesome and I'll tell you this right now that uh, we are excited, uh, Congresswoman Lee, for what you're doing. Uh, you know, we didn't come across an hour's ride across town to be in D.C. We came on a plane three, almost four hours yes. from Colorado. Uh, we, but This is our 40th trip in the last two years, Lisa. Yes. Uh, we mean business as an organization, and we are so happy uh, to to talk to you. And I'll ask you one more question. I don't want to hold you too Well, let long. me just say one thing, though. Uh, sure. Coming from Colorado, really, sure. uh, I'm very uh, humbled by it. And... Uh, very pleased to meet you because my son, my grandson, goes to Regents University. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's in Denver. That's in Denver. Yeah. Oh, they got him in Denver and Colorado Springs. Oh, oh, wow. Well, I'll have to make sure he gets <laughs> Oh, no worries there. And uh, Colorado's beautiful. I mean, it was 80 it's degrees gorgeous. yesterday yeah, in November. Uh, and we've, we've enjoyed uh, being here in, in Washington, and, and we're just engaged, and I'm sure you, everybody knows us by now. You take that many trips, people are like, oh, just calls, it just calls, yes. So uh, one more thing, Congressman, we don't want to hold you too long. We understand there are things pressing. So as we go into uh, 2016, uh, we got a whole bunch of candidates on the trail. We got a lot of people that, from my experience in watching, will begin to taper off and fall off in the next several months. As we face, as you said earlier, America's at a point of decision uh, for our future, for tomorrow. You're doing things we've talked uh, previously to to shape and mold this country in a good direction. What is your vision for America as we go into 2016? We have probably uh, a lot of seats that are coming up in in, in the House and the Senate. That's going to be happening. We have, uh, of course, the the main election, which is a new president of the United States. What is your vision for America as well, we Well, as a forward? Democrat, I have to be partisan and say my vision is to take back the House so Absolutely. that we can have a Democratic House so that the Tea Party does not run the show. Absolutely. You know, that's the first thing. Secondly, okay. 
we've got to restore the vote. You know, the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act, and so we have legislation now to help deal with voter ID laws and all the disincentives to vote, you know, rather than try to encourage Democratic participation. The Supreme Court and the Tea Party Congress, you know, they're trying to uh, prevent people from voting. And so what's really critical is to support legislation that we're working on now, uh, sponsored by Congresswoman Terry Sewell and many of us are co-sponsoring to restore the vote so that people uh, can have access to the ballot box. Sure. Because that's fundamental in democracy. I go all over the world monitoring elections as observers. I've been to Nigeria, South Africa, oh. Haiti. You know, and here in our own country, if, if we had international observers here, they would probably say these elections <laughs> are bogus. Right. You know what I mean? So right. I think as we move forward, we have to encourage people to uh, participate in the, in the electoral process to vote. And, of course, once again, understand that there is a difference between uh, Democrats and between Republicans in terms of our vision of the world and what the role of government is. And so I think the bill that I want to mention is the Voting Rights Advancement Act. Okay. Okay, and all Democrats are supporting that bill. Okay. And so I'm encouraging people to get with it and be very um, involved very active on whatever level and mm-hmm. on the community level and as well as city, county and congressional and help us take back the house. And we have to start that now and, and as we close on that, ladies and gentlemen of America, one thing is for certain, I've said it once, I'll say it again, you got it right in California when you went out and voted for Congressman Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Woman. Barbara Lee, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank you very it's, much. It's, it's, <laughs> Congresswoman Barbara Lee. And, and, <laughs> they, they do that. Well, you know, what I say all the time is that, you know, you went out on a cold night in November, of course, in California. You probably went out on a nice, <laughs> beautiful day uh, in California. You took the time to vote for this magnificent uh, young woman. And I'll tell you what, she's doing some things to make a difference. Get out there. And right now, you have to push right now voting. The importance of that vote, because I'll tell you right now, uh, Congresswoman, we have seen and have been almost moved to tears in our studio in Colorado as we have done Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And what the passion and what we've seen, we will encourage you. You are welcome at any time uh, to come on our program if there is anything going on and you want to get it out. Uh, That door is open. And we will push as hard as we can any legislation or agendas that you have. Okay, well, Um, I certainly appreciate that because I think that's really important for me to know and important for the public to know because that engages people with us, their elected officials, to hold us accountable, first of all, and secondly, to support efforts that we're involved in that will make a critical change in their lives in their communities, in the country, and in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we may see a presidential bid down the road as uh, presidential candidate, uh, presidential candidate, <laughs> Congresswoman Barbara Lee. And uh, she's doing <laughs> stuff. Bad. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying that, uh, but we're encouraging her to make a move. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, Congresswoman uh, Lee, we thank you for taking time with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, a magnificent woman making an impact in our nation's capital. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, thank you so thank much you for being much. with us. Thank you very much. Enjoy being with us. Thank you so much. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen of America. I am, uh, folks, if you feel a little tear in the right corner of your eye or 
maybe went out to the shed and grabbed a flag. <laughs> uh, this would be the reason to do it. As Lisa, Cliff, Jeanette, what do you say about this woman? I, you you thought we were at at supper? Oh, oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we're we're, we're just talking, and she's. What a what a magnificent woman Lisa is as uh, she talks so passionately about the the American people. Yes, she does. And the oath of office that she took and her accomplishments are many including authoring and co-authoring every major piece of legislation dealing with the global HIV AIDS issue issues since she was elected to Congress. And this includes legislation that created the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief and the Global Fund to Fight HIV and AIDS, TB and Malaria, and the position of Special Advisor to Orphans, for Orphans. Uh, she has been involved with that in all issues dealing with vulnerable children. She has secured millions of dollars for HIV, AIDS prevention, education, treatment, care services, and Alameda County. She gained national attention in 2001 as the only member of both chambers of Congress, to vote against the authorization, authorization for use of military force in the wake of horrific events of September 11th. As an early and outspoken opponent of the Iraq War, the Congresswoman repeatedly proposed legislation seeking early U.S. troop withdrawal in 2007. She successfully blocked funds from being used to establish permanent military bases in Iraq. Who are we talking about, ladies and gentlemen? A champion and a champion for the people. That is Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Folks, right now it is almost 9 o'clock on the East Coast in our nation's capital, and the quiet sound of night settles in. We're coming right back here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we continue this honor of a woman, a legend, and uh, someone who is the spokesman for the American people. We're coming right back with Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect vibe, but to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. 
Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now, here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated, but one thing is clear. There's a racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of America's drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparities in America's war on drugs are one big reason that one of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. And how fitting is that music as we approach Super Bowl 50? Uh, in another week, and uh, time for celebration. But folks, tonight on AJC Radio, that music doesn't mean Super Bowl 50. It means that we have done some things and lifted, the, hopefully, the American spirit and optimism that something is going right, least on Capitol Hill. Absolutely. And that, and that has started tonight, as we have been so pleased tonight in, in, in talking about Congresswoman Barbara Lee. We're going to continue to do that. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Jeanette Williams. And the whole AJC radio team, uh, we're glad to be here tonight. And, uh, Jeanette, your thoughts on Congresswoman Lee, as you've heard that interview, uh, what resonated with you and stayed with you? Oh, my God. What what stuck with me the most is that she, uh, what drives her, she is for the people, her passion for people, and the fact that she she walked the road. She, she lived it, you know, and so she, she touched me so much because I was a single mother and raising uh, kids by myself and her her being a congresswoman now and saying, you know, the stereotype is not necessarily uh, everybody wants to be on welfare and just lazy and sorry and all these things. She said, I was on welfare. I raised my kids on food stamps. I raised my kids on Medicaid. And for her to just make sure that she touched the heart and soul of just an everyday person, and look who she is and where she is today. No, absolutely, and it's a it's an American success story, Lisa, isn't it? It is. Uh, it is. Uh, and I don't want to say from rags to rags to riches to that extent, but uh, you can say that. You know, you we'll, really can. Well, we'll go ahead and say that. <laughs> uh, and came up in the ranks, Lisa, accomplished something, and is well respected by uh, her colleagues yes, on Capitol is. Hill. Yes, She's she well is. respected. And give that same respect to her colleagues on Capitol Hill. Cliff, as you heard that uh, interview with the congresswoman, what, what stayed with you and what, what stuck, at, stuck out, if you will, uh, in that interview that impacted you a little bit? Well, the thing that stuck out to me was, you know, you were saying, well, hey, it's after 6 p.m. on the East Coast there. She had been up working all day, she said, since early that morning. You never got that. 
You never got no. that, True. oh, she's tired, she sounds frustrated. She don't feel like uh, being bothered. Right, she doesn't feel like being bothered. You know, that this is just some, some uh, you know, some kind of just cordial thing that she's just going through. She really put her heart into that interview. And, and, and that is what, when I was saying before uh, on the show, that that is what Spotlight on Capitol Hill is about. Because these members have worked all day long. And they come in and say, okay, at 6.30 at night, I'm going to give you a 30-minute interview. And I know i got to be up early the next morning to go vote, to read the legislation, to know where I stand on these issues. And it is, I'm telling you, it has become just just all, all inspiring. Sure. Because the America looks at the members of Congress and says, you know, well, most of the time they're not talking about anything. These people are putting work in, and it, it's just amazing to watch that. Well, it really is, and 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 folks, uh, you know, it this is something that needs. Lisa, you heard Congresswoman Lee say, "What you folks are doing is so important." Yes. And we heard that, uh, I believe, from from the dean of the house. Yes. Uh, We've heard it from, from just about everyone. Most of the people that we've interviewed have said the same thing. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited because uh, if we're doing something to contribute. To at least educate America and to inform America correctly, uh, we we uh, gladly uh, we gladly do that, and uh, we're excited about that. And uh, folks, right now we're going to go ahead and dig a little bit into some of her uh, legislation, uh, and there are some things uh, that Lisa, you had pointed out, something that really stuck to you, and some legislation that she's doing. Share that with the people. Yeah, her Happington Act of 2015. I think that is such an admirable thing for her to be reaching for. I think. I mean, anybody who would fight this would just have to be insane and care about absolutely no one. But its goal is to reduce, to cut the poverty in the United States in half in 10 years. Wow. Cut it in half. There's, wow. There are so many people living in poverty. True. There are so many people that need help, that need help to get out of the situations that they're in. They can't pull themselves up. They need some assistance. And to have someone like uh, Congresswoman Lee, who's really fighting for that. She really, I mean, this woman isn't just talking stuff. She really genuinely feels compassion yep. and she feels for these people and she wants to help them because she knows somebody, she needed somebody to help her. Yeah. And you can feel that. You can feel her passion when she talks. Yeah, you can. I mean, and that, that, that act, uh, looks like it was introduced in, two, in well, January, I'm sorry, of 2015. And it, I hope to God it gets passed because that is the most awesome thing to be. I mean, if we could actually do that in 10 years, cut poverty in half, that would be phenomenal. Well, and one key point to that, Lisa, if you eliminate, uh, Congressman Rangel made this point, if you can eliminate poverty, you increase the economy That's right. in a positive way. That's right. You cut down on crime. Yes. You cut down on incarceration. Yes. You cut down on wrongful deaths. You cut down on all of these things, juvenile problems. That this, If poverty is taken away, it opens so many other doors. Well, and she, had, she said that to us. She said that if uh, poverty is going, fixing the poverty situation will fix so many other things. It will help in so many other areas. A lot of the problems that we have with the crime and the things that are going on, are because people are living in poverty. Absolutely. If we can get these people pulled out of that area and pulled out from that, that slump that they're in, that can change a lot for this country. Well, it really can. It says that the Congressional 
Out of Poverty Caucus, which is she a part of, seeks to bring together lawmakers, organizations, community leaders, and other key stakeholders to find concrete solutions to end poverty. The COPC is committed to increasing awareness about the finding of bipartisan legislative solutions to eliminating poverty in the United States. Congresswoman Lee has been a strong proponent of safe communities, affordable housing, the homeless, low-income energy assistance, job training, making health care affordable and universal uh, uh, just immigration policies, the establishment of a living wage. And I had uh, heard her speak. It's not the minimum wage. She said, I want to, she said, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to uh, uh, get into that right now because she made a point about talking about poverty and she was addressing those issues that it's not minimum wage. It should be the living wage. That's yes. right. Yes. And how true is that? Something about says the minimum wage. Right. But when you give me the living wage, yes. that's I can, the difference. That I can is survive. the difference. I can survive. I can survive. I can take care of my family. Let's hear what Congresswoman Barbara Lee said about that. Former food stamp recipient myself and public assistant recipient, I know firsthand just how important these safety net programs are. I would not be here today if it were not for that lifeline that bridge over troubled water that these types of programs extended to me when I was a single mother on welfare, raising two amazing sons, trying to get my life together so that I could move on and take care of my family and live the American dream. Believe me, I know. No one wants to be on food stamps. No one. Everyone wants a good-paying job that allows them to provide for their family and contribute to society. They want to take care of their kids. There are bumps in the road, yes, uh, and now the economy has turned around for many, but not for all. So that bridge over troubled waters, uh, that now more than ever. So I hope that in the negotiations in this omnibus bill, we're going to make sure we remember these people and not raid the programs that keep people out of poverty, provide a safety net, and as Mr. Hoyer said, Let's do no harm in this bill, and let's help people move into the middle class. And I don't really think you could say it any clearer than that. Um, there's a there's a level, Lisa, of sincerity. Yes. And I don't want to say a level, a total sincerity yes. of what she is attempting to do. Yes, there is. And I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, you can talk all day long about what's happening on J Street until you get on J Street. Mm -hmm. And when you've been on J Street, you can speak to it with authority. Congresswoman Lee speaks to the social, economic issues that can cripple a nation. And I said it before, Lisa, Cliff, Jeanette, that there are certain decisions that are made that shape the nation that lay the foundation, if you will. We need folks in Congress, like Congresswoman Lee, for one reason. Not, and I'm just naming one, but for many reasons. Because she is connected. Yes, yes she is. That's a great word. With the pain and the hurt and the struggle. Yeah. You can't lift somebody up if you don't know the struggle. That's right. And how, 
admirable. Lisa, when we met with her, she didn't show any shame. No, she did not. She didn't show any, oh, I don't want nobody to know that I was on uh, public assistance and foods. She proudly says, I have been there. And if I've been there, then it gives me the right as an elected official to bring it to the attention of the American people. How very, very important that is. And I'll tell you, you know, she addresses so many different issues uh, that need to be looked at, uh, that need to be looked into uh, by these members of Congress. When you hear her clip say what she said in that clip, she's pleading that Congress do the right thing. And that's because she's been there and she remembers. And like you said, she feels that there are people who who are in the situation that she used to be in. And she understands that pain of and the hopelessness. And to know that your fellow man uh, is down and that you've been in the place where he is now, that is what gives you the drive to say, you know, I have to reach my hand out. I have to do something. There has to be something that I can do to say that uh, that I can help a person out. And that is that heartfelt, personable, uh, just I am who you are feeling that you get from Congresswoman Lee that sure. it's not like, uh, you know, I'm up here and I'm on Capitol Hill and I got this title and I can make these decisions. It's, no, I am here and I got this title and I can make these decisions to try to help out my fellow man. I took this position so that I could fight for the rights of others and and let the whole nation know the pain that they feel. And and when you when you see that and when you understand who she is and where she came from and the struggles and the battles and the pains that, you know, that she endured, that is how she can be so forceful yeah. and, and and just you know, put it out there that, hey, I am who you are, and I realize that you need help, and I'll do everything that I can to ensure that you get it. Yeah, I think what's amazing about that is that uh, Congresswoman Lee is colorblind. Uh, this is about poverty touches all walks of life. That's right. Uh, and, and that's my sense, Lisa, in, in, in talking to her. Uh, it's not about black or white. It's no. about people. That's right. And when we catch on to that, we wouldn't have the racial issues that this country confronts every day. She was speaking uh, about racial equality on the floor, and she was bringing uh, uh, attention to why racial equality is so important, the racial divide in this country. Uh, she is speaking on every social issue uh, that this country is facing right now. And that speaks, Lisa, to the character. It sure does. And the integrity of, the, of Congresswoman Lee. And we are so honored to have the privilege of, of sharing this message with the American people. Let's hear what Congresswoman Lee had to say about racial equality. Uh, and so I rise uh, this evening to join this critical conversation on race relations in America and to challenge our colleagues to work with the Congressional Black Caucus to realize progress for racial justice and equality. And I join with, first with Congresswoman Kelly and Payne in sending my condolences to the families and the victims of the horrific terrorist attacks in Paris and Lebanon and Nigeria and also uh, in Egypt. And know that we join in this quest for global peace 
and security throughout the world. Now tonight's special order is an important part of our work to address the discrimination and racism that still plagues our nation, specifically as it relates to African Americans, but we know that it impacts all communities of color. It's manifested in, in, in many ways and it affects our entire country. As Congressman uh, Payne said so eloquently, we are the United States. And so when one is affected, all is affected. All across the country, at universities like Mizzou and Yale and places like Baltimore and Ferguson, and in high schools like Spring Valley High in Columbia, South Carolina, we are witnessing the painful impact of institutional racism in our communities. Very recently, we saw this in my home district at Berkeley High School in one of the most progressive and enlightened cities in the country. Black students were subjected to threatening messages on campus, but I'm so proud of the students at Berkeley. They walked off, and it was not only black students, it was all students, and marched down peacefully through the city to protest these terrible, despicable messages. This is unacceptable. All students have a right to learn free from violence and from threats. As long as black students and any student of color feels unsafe in their classrooms, our work for justice remains incomplete. But she's speaking some truth um, in regards to the racial divide in America right now. And it is very, very clear um, that that racial divide seems to be growing um, as a result of the failure to act uh, by community leaders, uh, people, as she said, Republicans, Democrats, they have different visions, they have different things, but everybody has something to contribute. Um, there has to be medium ground. Uh, or some give and take to run this nation. And uh, to me, it appears that Congresswoman Leake seems to be doing that and trying to make things happen. What's going on here with the racial issues in America, uh, at least as you alluded to in some of the things dealing, it's amazing what type of social issue um, brings these things to light uh, and lets us as Americans see uh, take a look in the mirror of where we are. Yes. Um, I think Congresswoman Lee brings, she forces you to look in the mirror and take a look. Yes, she does. Uh, and it's important. Lisa, you were sharing uh, in regards even to the formerly incarcerated uh, people um, and, and explain to the people about that particular push of legislation. Yeah, she's got um, she's got an, uh, legislation out there that's uh, Food Assistance to Improve Reintegration Act of 2013. And this is to amend the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Reconciliation Act of 1996 to repeal the denial of supplemental nutrition assistance, which is SNAP, or uh, that you said was SNAP or food stamps. Uh, the eligibility of a person who's been convicted of a felony, which has an element of the possession, use, or distribution of a controlled substance. So if you've gone to prison and you were convicted of a, on a, a drug charge that was possession, use, or dis di distribution, you would not be eligible to receive any of that assistance once you were released. If you release people and then you keep them from being able to get the assistance that they need, then why are you uh, saying something when they're running around doing committing crime again, trying to get the food that they need to feed their children, trying to get what they need to survive? You're, you're blocking them from getting what they need. Absolutely. And what she's trying to do is say, hey, if you want to stop having all these people come back to prison, 
let them be able to get the assistance they need when they get out. We already have they already have a cloud hanging over their head of being a convicted felon. That never goes away. That's always hanging there. They have a hard time getting a job. They have a hard time finding a place to live. Then you want to tell them they're not they're not eligible for uh, food assistance. What do you want people to do? Exactly. You not you're, they're not being given a second chance. They're not being given one. They've got one chance, and if you mess it up, then it's too bad, so sad. You're just out of luck. And that's the thing with the uh, with the entire justice system is that you once you become a part of it, you get there. There is no recourse. There is no no help. I mean, they have so called programs, but they don't. They don't give people the basics of what they need. If you if you become if you get incarcerated, you get let out. You say, "I want to show the world that I'm turning my life around. I need to be able to get a job. I need to be able to get my own place to stay. I need to be able to do the things to basically sustain myself." And if you if you tear that away from a person who's trying to basically rehabilitate rehabilitate themselves and reintegrate themselves into society you pull that away and there's no help then most of the time the what do you turn back to that person will turn back to crime to say this is the only way i ever knew how to make ends meet was to commit crime but if we give them just a little help and that's what that's what uh congresswoman lee is saying hey why not help a person that's hungry i mean the the worst thing that that you can ever see as a person stealing because they're hungry yes well, that's sad it, i mean just if you give a man five dollars and you keep him from committing a crime, how simple is that? And Cliff, that's the thing that's so disturbing about this country. Sometimes it's like in other countries, you you go to jail or go to prison or whatever. You serve your time. You pay your debt to society. By the time you get out, your slate is wiped clean. That doesn't happen in a, in America, not in this great country. But they hold that over your head for life. But then, like like Lisa was saying, you can't get a job, so. Uh, then you're struggling, but then I don't want to help you where I can help you. It's like it's a never-ending cycle. It's just like, okay, uh, can I catch a break here? Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. Um, this is exactly the problem uh, with the criminal justice system in America. Um, the fact that someone – America is rich enough a nation that not one hungry person, not one person on our, in America should be hungry. That's true. Now, we – can say what you say what you want to say. Not one person in this country should be hungry, and you wonder why certain things happen from certain neighborhoods. You can provoke a man and force his hand to return to something he may not necessarily even want to do. It's true. You have to lend a hand, open a door. At the end of the day, when someone gets out of prison. They need a place to live. Doesn't mean they're going to, oh my goodness, he got out of prison. He's a human being. Yeah. And according to America, he paid his debt. Okay. If I, I said it, do it again. I pay my debt off for JCPenney. When I go and purchase again, I don't expect to be stopped. I don't expect to say, we have a problem, sir. No, you don't. I pay. My bill's been paid, yeah. which means I can go to that rack and get me a shirt or a pair of pants or whatever I want to do without any hesitation. That is the same thing that must happen with prisoners, former prisoners, folks that have gotten out. They are trying to rebuild something, and it is difficult at best. And Lisa, Congresswoman Lee 
is connected. We said that at the top of this program. She is connected to the American people. She absolutely is. There's no way you come from that place and not be connected. So I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm in a state of shock and awe of Congresswoman Lee. Lisa, you would never know that we did the interview months ago. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> because the impact, ladies and gentlemen, on us in this studio is as if we just heard from her. We'd already heard from Congresswoman Lee. But it tells you when that happens, something real is going on. That's right. What is that something real? Her name is Congresswoman Barbara Lee in California, in our nation's capital, making a difference to shape a nation. We're coming right back. Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we continue with Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Folks, stay with us. Coming right back. AJC Radio and our team extend a personal invitation to all the members of Congress to be a part of this dynamic initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We welcome you, whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, whatever you might be, we join together to bring to the attention of the American people the positive things that our elected officials are doing on Capitol Hill. Tonight, AJC Radio salutes you, and we extend that invitation to all the members of Congress as we continue to shine the light called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. It's just going to get better from here. Let's get on board. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Spotlight on Capitol Hill. My name is Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Jeanette Williams. And we have had a lot of strawberry shortcake tonight, Lisa, haven't we? Uh, we introduced the segment uh, in dealing with uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee as we wanted to serve the dessert early. And, folks, I'm full on strawberry shortcake uh, because it's been one of those nights, uh, Lisa, that has has sparked something here at AJC Radio when we're talking about uh, this woman, a legend, and someone that is just doing some things and yes. things that matter. Absolutely. Uh, how important is that? It's vitally important. I mean, she's doing things that matter because she cares about people, and it's obvious that she cares. It's not every day that you meet a member of Congress that genuinely cares about people as a whole. She just cares about people. No, absolutely. Not, one, not her constituents, not black people, not Hispanic people, not white people, just people. Mm-hmm. She's just concerned about people as a whole. That's what is so rare that you don't come by very often. Well, no, and, and you just don't. And uh, uh, unfortunately, that's the world in which we live in. Uh, and I think that's why we actually cling, if you will, and embrace uh, folks that are doing things on this level and uh, – uh, Lisa, we keep saying on this program, uh, again, we're on a streak. If you know anything about sports, folks, a streak is when you go so long and it just gets better and better and better. Uh, we seem to be on that streak here at Spotlight on Capitol Hill. 
And I guarantee you, Lisa uh, and Cliff and Jeanette, uh, we're just getting started. Absolutely. Uh, and we're going to continue to do this. And I'm excited about what we've heard tonight uh, in regard to Congress, uh, Congresswoman uh, uh, Lee, what she's doing, her initiatives. And we all know, folks, the thing that is on the mind of everybody uh, is, is ISIS, uh, the threat. Uh, Congresswoman Lee is concerned about that. Uh, you can't be concerned about the rest and not be concerned about that of the safety and the security of the United States. Um, and she's, she is the whole package, folks. Um, she's not lacking anything when it comes to being connected with the matters, with, excuse me, with the uh, issues that matter. Uh, and she's actually doing that. And uh, she talks a little bit um, uh, about uh, her position on ISIS, what's important, how do we deal with these issues. Uh, let's hear what she had to say on that. Barbara Lee joins us now. And, Congresswoman, I thank you for your time. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been very critical of the the effectiveness uh, of the war against ISIS. Uh, you, as many remember, were the person who filed that uh, lone dissenting vote in the 2001 authorization of the use of military force. I want to kind of go through this check by check. And when you, you are critical of uh, the U.S.'s uh, attempt to uh, tamp down to, to eliminate ISIS, is it a lack of resources? Or this, uh, is it an ineffective strategy from your perspective? I believe that uh, we need a uh, more comprehensive strategy to really begin to degrade and dismantle uh, ISIL. One, uh, the military option is always there, and we recognize that. And, of course, our first job is to keep Americans and our country safe. And having said that, we have to look at how we can broaden the strategy to make sure the region is leading us to ensure that we do not uh, allow for the insertion of American troops, ground troops, uh, in this civil war and in this terrible war that's taking place in the region, but also how we can support a regional effort to look at a diplomatic and uh, political settlement long term. Because when you look at and you cited the 2001 resolution uh, to use force, that resolution, unfortunately, and the one that authorized the use of force, the military war against Iraq, those are still being used now in terms of the U.S. Uh, mission in this new war. And so minimally, we need to have a debate in Congress, which is what I am saying and many others are saying now, and we need to put forth a new authorization with, which would set forth what, in fact, the American people and Congress deem necessary to really begin to dismantle and discredit ISIS. Okay, and there you have it. Lisa, Cliff, uh, Jeanette, uh, she's clear. Oh, yeah. No mistake about it. Um, she is concerned. And, uh, Cliff, when you hear that, she's addressing again the ISIS epidemic of fear that is trying to uh, take over this nation. And what we see and the terrorist things that we see, uh, how refreshing is it to know that uh, Congresswoman Lee is involved even with that? Well, it just shows her commitment, her full commitment to the American people, that everything that is an issue, everything that's on the table, everything that is on the minds of the American people, that she's taking that into account, that she is saying, hey, we've got to do this together. We have to fight this war against ISIS, the war against poverty. We have to 
despite the reiter the uh lack of um ways to reintegrate you know ex felons into society the whole gambit she's dealing with saying hey we as a society we as the american people have to have to put it all on the table and understand that we have to deal with it together like she said in that clip saying that you know when we find what works good then utilize that take that and and use that to fight the fight against ISIS, and it goes across the board. When we find what what uh, what works good to fight poverty, take that and utilize it. Make it grow. When we find what works good to uh, you know bring down violence uh, from law enforcement, to bring down violence in low income communities. When you find that answer, take it and utilize it. And that her whole approach on how uh, the country needs to come together, interact with each other, and find these answers. That is what that is what is uh, so refreshing, just to to be heard from someone. And like Lisa said earlier, you hear the strength in her voice, her her dedication, just her entire uh, everything about her persona says that you know she's going to say it like it is, and you know let the chips fall where they may. And that's what we need. Are uh, strong members of Congress that says when it's when it comes down to fighting for the American people, this is the stand that I take, and whatever your response is to that, so be it. No, and that uh, couldn't be said any clearer than that, um, Cliff. And and it is true, uh, she's involved. Congresswoman Barbara Lee involved with every part of the issues that face this nation. Um, and I'll tell you what. This is what is needed. It is. This is what has to happen in order for things to change in this country. Uh, that's very, very important. Uh, she's not in, only involved with the poverty issue. She's involved with economic issues. Uh, uh, the uh, Invest Act uh, is it, it actually amends the Internal Revenue Code to allow the work opportunity tax credit for the hiring of specified veterans who work in the field of renewable energy, defines specified veteran as any veteran who is certified as having received a credential or certification from the Department of Defense of a military occupational specialty or skill in a field of renewable energy or with respect to advanced manufacturing, machinists or welding or engineering having completed a vocational degree in a field of renewable energy. Uh, we talked about how our veterans uh, a lot of times are left behind. Congresswoman Barbara Lee reaching out to help the veterans, to open some doors, to, to lay some foundations uh, that make a difference. It doesn't get better than that. Jeanette, when you hear something like that uh, regarding our veterans, as we talked about the deplorable, horrific actions of this nation that, has forgot, that actually have seemed to, seemed to be, have left their comrades in harm's way, we see another example of leadership. That's right. Your thoughts on that? After giving their lives sometimes for this country and, and just the sacrifices they were made, no one is more deserving uh, to be treated fairly and right and with honor than our veterans. And as we found out earlier this week, that's not the case. So when you have somebody in Congress and in position fighting for them, that's very, very refreshing to hear. Oh, without question. And Cliff? Uh, she goes further here uh, in regard to the Justice Act, uh, which is, is I'm going to be honest with you, and, and, you know, put the kitties, put the headphones on the kitties, but uh, uh, says the Justice Act is actually justice for the unprotected against sexually transmitted infections among the confined 
an exposed act of the justice or the justice, excuse me, requires the attorney general to direct the Bureau of Prisons to allow community organizations to distribute sexual barrier protection devices and engage in sexual transmitted infection, STI counseling, and prevention education in federal correctional facilities. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's doing the unconventional because at the end of the day, folks, there are some not-so-nice things happening in prisons oh, yes. across this country. She is saying that the, the Department of Justice needs to act. To protect because, and, and, and Cliff, I believe she's referencing the innocent. That's right, because, I mean, you cannot take the problem and just say, okay, we're going to hide the problem. We're going to just act like, okay, it's not allowed, so we're going to act like it doesn't exist. That is that is as insane as saying, okay, since, you know, crimes against children are illegal, we're not going to deal with them. She's saying, hey, deal with the problem on the table let the community groups come in, educate the prisoners, provide them with what they need so that we can stop the spread of STIs in the prison system. And and what is so crazy is that the BOP, the Bureau of Prisons, knows that this is a problem. Oh, yeah. But they won't deal with it because if they deal with it, then they have to admit that it's a problem. Well, it's not a secret to anybody, uh, you know, out here. That that there is a, a problem with uh you know with this in in prison so wow. why not deal with the problem address <laughs> it and come to some type of solution and Congresswoman Lee says hey you know you got to deal with the elephant in the room since he's here let's figure out how we can move him along you know no, what? question Cliff that that um made me think about an, another one of her bills it's like you know just because you ignore something doesn't make it not there or does it doesn't mean it doesn't exist um because me as a parent mm-hmm. who opted to homeschool due to the breakdown in the public school system I, I admired her bills concerning the students and like the student support act but one of the things was the real education act because it's comprehensive sex education for adolescents we're trying to act like they're not involved in it since we know they are why not do something to educate them and you know in the right way the comprehensive way and and also even the right to the school nutrition act and that yes. was with the child nutrition act as well because she's saying you're not just going to feed my kid anything I want to know what they're eating, and I mean, some of this stuff was harmful to them. Sure. And so she's got that information about saying that it has to be, what are they eating? The parents have to be notified. The kids have to be notified. She's involved with every well, aspect. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. Lisa, Cliff, Jeanette, we need to ask the upper higher powers that be maybe an additional three hours to the day uh, because <laughs> – we're just, again, touching just the tip of the iceberg, if you will, regarding this magnificent Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Uh, we have come to the conclusion of this segment, but I'll tell you what. Ladies and gentlemen, go to AJCRadio.com. You can hear this entire show on the Congresswoman. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your cousins, your Aunt, aunt uh, Susie and Uncle Luke and all the family to tune in here on AJC Radio Thursdays because things are happening and information is getting put out there. And coming up on the other side of this break, you know what time it is. What you didn't know about the IRP-6. Who are they? Who are these men, these legends? 
and Patriots of America. David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart. Tonight, what you didn't know about the RP6, or, or excuse me, about the RP6, are the actions of obstructing justice as the RP6 sought justice that was lost. We're coming right back on the other side of the break. The United States United of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trial and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. inmates. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. Thank you so much for spending this evening with AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Tonight, it is that time where we ask the tough questions and we seek for the answers about the IRP-6. If you don't know who these men are, well, look up the word hero and champion in the dictionary. Their name should be applied. However, as a result of injustice, they sit wrongfully convicted in a prison cell in federal prison that, where they should never be. IJC Radio continues in a just cause to fight for the immediate release of the IRP-6. Who are they? David Banks. Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart, patriots of America, left behind by America. We're seeking justice in that case. Tonight, what you didn't know about the RP6 is the obstruction of justice that took place by a government official, FBI agent Moen. Cliff, tell the folks a little bit about how obstruction came into play. 
Well, during the trial, there were several subpoenas that were issued uh, for witnesses. And on several occasions, Judge Christine Arguello did not uphold those subpoenas or do her do her part to ensure that those subpoenas enforced, were enforced. On one occasion, there was a uh, witness being called. His name was Agent Moen of Robert the Moen. FBI. Robert yes. Moen. The process server went to his house to serve him the subpoena to say, hey, you need to show up on, in court on such and such a date and at such and such a time. Instead of reaching Robert Moen, this uh, the process server was met by another FBI agent that was sent by prosecutor Matthew Kirsch by the by this agent's own mouth that if you have any questions for Agent Moen, you ask Mr. Kirsch. Told the process server you will not be serving him. You're going to leave his property now. Anybody who knows anything about a processor, I mean, you get served if you owe a bill, you get mm-hmm. served if you uh, uh, are being subpoenaed to court. There is no FBI jurisdiction to tell you who you can and cannot serve. That is, you have now become an officer of the court. You have a right to deliver that paper as long as you do it in the proper fashion. For an FBI agent to come up and say, if you have any questions of this witness, you talk to Prosecutor Kirsch. And... Then, to make it even worse, when this issue was brought up in court in front of Judge Christine Arguello and Matthew Kirsch admitted to, he's like, well, Your Honor, I've been in touch with uh, Agent Moen, the witness, and he's out hunting somewhere. Now, there's so many issues with what I just said. First off, right. why is the prosecutor in touch with the defendant's uh, witness? That's called Winston Whit. Witness tampering, and if you and I did it, we'd go to federal prison for it. Second off, it was brought before the judge. She did nothing uh, about it. And third off, the prosecutor admitted it in front of the judge. She did not reprimand him. She did not say anything about the the, uh, witness being brought under charges. She basically let that witness go, saying, well... He's out hunting, so what do we do? Let me let me get let me make this sure. Let me make sure, Cliff, I'm clear. We have a FBI agent blocking the order of a judge. Yes. It wow. doesn't. It doesn't happen. Number one, a judge does not allow that. Does not allow that. And the sickest part is when it was brought to the attention. She failed of to do judge, anything. She did nothing. Like, well, that's that's your problem. Makes you wonder if she was in cahoots with it. Had it been, well, let, look, hold up. We've been make you, gone beyond wondering. It doesn't make you wonder. This is a fact, ladies and gentlemen of America. We have a judge that orders the subpoena of a witness in a criminal, in a federal criminal case. An FBI agent tampers with that. Interferes with the process. Interferes with the process with it. Interferes with an order. See, when you get down to the technical issue That's right. of what's going on, this is. A person interfering with the process of the court, uh, threatening a a uh, a official of the court. A process server becomes an official of the court when he carries that letter in his hand and says, "I am doing a judge's order." This is a an official of the court being threatened by an FBI agent. This is witness tampering, and there are so many things. But the sickest part is Judge Christine Arguello did absolutely nothing. Yeah, then the judge it. turns a blind eye to it. A blind eye. You're the judge who said you you uh, be subpoenaed, show up in my courtroom. When you don't show up, oh, that's okay. It doesn't matter. But that was that was one uh, one example out of many 
of where Judge Arguello did nothing to well, ensure that uh, witnesses that were subpoenaed, witnesses that had been subpoenaed, had been served the subpoena, did not show up. She did not do her duty to to contact that witness and say either you get in this courtroom or you're in contempt and I'll well, have the marshals drag you in. She well, did nothing. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. That alone, what you didn't know this moment is enough for a dismissal of the case. There it is. Right. Process has failed. That's right. A deliberate obstruction of the, justice. The Constitution has been trampled and ignored in the IRP-6 case. Six men tonight sit in a federal prison. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll say it again and again and again. Injustice anywhere affects justice everywhere. The words of Dr. Martin Luther King, make no mistake about it, injustice will visit your door one day in this country if you do not demand that people be held accountable for this horrific action and miscarriage of justice. David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Gary Walker, Dave Zappolo, Clinton Stewart, Demetrius Harper, these are men. They have families. They have children. What are we going to do about it? A wife tonight is without her husband. Children are without their fathers because of injustice. If it was your brother, if it was your father, if it was your best friend, would you not fight then? We implore you tonight to go to AJCRadio.com, read the story at a just cause as well, but go to change.org, sign the petition. And share it with every person you know. If, if you're concerned about justice on any level, if you believe that justice one time in this country mattered, we need you to go to change.org and sign that petition. Crying children are waiting for their fathers to come home. Heartbroken wives go to bed at night with tears on their pillows for the cause of injustice here. It's high time we stand up and do something. We owe that to each other as American citizens and as human beings. Change.org. Type in RP6. Sign the petition and share it everywhere you go. We want to thank the opportunity, Lisa, uh, uh, the interview with Congresswoman Barbara Lee for giving us time in Washington. Uh, we thank her staff. We appreciate this night tonight as we've had the privilege of honoring her. But make no mistake about it. I believe Congressman Barbara, Congresswoman Barbara Lee is concerned about justice. She she, she's going to be concerned about the IRP-6. Go sign the petition as we seek for justice. Cliff? Just want to say thank you to everyone in the chat room, all your questions, comments. We really appreciate them. want to say thank you to K&D Productions, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson, helping out Ill Skillers Girl in the control room. Uh, making sure that you hear what it is that we have to say. Also, I want to say thank you to our production support team. They give us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to you. want to say happy birthday to young Charlisa. <laughs> and also to the truth, we know you're out there. We appreciate it. And thank you for that clip. And make no mistake about it, folks, get your pen and paper out for the most wanted perpetrators of justice in America. Lisa, who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, 
Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodreed, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Staten Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professionals, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. We appreciate that. And, and Cliff, thanks for the shout-out to Lisa, uh, whose birthday is just in a couple of days. Happy birthday to you. But we have uh, members here at AJC Radio who make this job easier for us to do. Uh, our AJC Radio team, there's a couple of more birthdays. To, uh, happy sh- a shout-out to Tanique Wright and Tisha Barnes uh, making some things happen here at AJC Radio. Happy birthday to you. We appreciate all that you do and many, many more birthdays and happy days to come. We look forward to that. Folks, definitely join us every Thursday night here at 8 p.m. Eastern on AJC Radio as we continue to shine the light on Spotlight on Capitol Hill, where we seek, where we seek out rather, to bring to your attention in America what's going on with our elected officials. These are things that are critically important, must happen, and Lisa, Cliff, Jeanette, we're hearing good things. Yes, we are. Uh, about Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and folks, uh, it's going to set fire in here in this studio every Thursday night as we continue to educate America. Remember, folks, this is the year to get out to vote. Make up in your mind uh, that you're going to vote this year, and your voice uh, is going is going to actually be heard. Uh, that is critically important. If you want to hear this program and all our other programs as well, again, go to AJCRadio.com. Uh, all the archives of all of our shows are there. And uh, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen of America, this is getting contagious. Uh, it's got a feeling, uh, at least in my opinion, Lisa, you may or may not agree. I think you do agree. There's some optimism going on in America right now. I believe there is. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, it continues to grow. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, we do thank you for all your support. Tell your friends. Let's build the audience here on AJC Radio. Everybody across the United States who tune in tonight, we wish you a happy good night. And we'll see you next time here on AJC Radio. Take care, and God bless. Good night. Good night. Good night. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Madam Speaker, I rise uh, this evening with my colleagues in the Congressional Black Caucus to call on Congress to do something, to do something about the epidemic of gun violence that's harming our community. Since the start of the year, just 11 days ago, nine of my constituents have already become victims of gun violence, including an elementary school teacher and an innocent mother pushing her child in a stroller. Just this weekend alone, my community suffered three gun homicides. My thoughts are with the victim's family at this very um, terrible, difficult time. We have to do something. Enough is enough. 
Congress can and must have for violence, whether it's Charleston, Oak Creek, Sandy Hook, or the streets of Oakland, or wherever. Too many people have already lost their lives. Too many families have buried loved ones, and too many lives have been changed forever because of catastrophic injuries as a result of gun violence. Madam Speaker, now is the time for action. Our constituents are demanding action. The country is demanding action. I've received some calls and emails from my constituents, and I know other members are also hearing from their constituents. They're calling for action as well. Earlier today in my own district, Council President Lynette Gibson McElhaney, she buried her grandson, 17-year-old Torian Hughes, who was shot and killed during a robbery just days before Christmas. This has been a very difficult period for Council Member McElhaney and her family. So in addition to our prayers, not only for my Council Member's family, but for all of them, Thank you.